This is Client Side from Fox Agency. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. James McCarthy is a tech advocate and chief marketing officer at XNR. He has over 20 years of experience marketing the propositions of some of the most influential B2B and B2C tech brands in the world. He helps audiences to embrace change and a positive digital future alongside the challenges that that represents. James McCarthy, welcome to ClientSide. It's great to be here, Nathan. Thanks for inviting me. Absolute pleasure having you on the show. You've got a really interesting career journey. You've worked at some of the biggest and most prestigious B2B and consumer brands in the world, but you start your professional career as an engineer. That's not the typical career journey of a marketer, is it? Uh, I know a few people that have actually, but yeah, it's not, it's definitely not what people think um, is the, is a traditional uh, journey for a marketer, no doubt. Um, engineering is all about problem solving. Mm-hmm. Um, typically engineers are quite left brained. They're quite rational. Mm-hmm. Um, they love solving problems and, and that's, um, it's not something you always associate with a marketer at first glance. Mm-hmm. Typically you think marketers would be more right brained. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turns out you can be a little bit of both. And it turns out that applying a good dose of left brain thinking to marketing, particularly in the strategic sense, mm. um, is obviously no bad thing. So talk a little bit about what that left brain thinking brings to your mo- role as a marketer then, because what does that engineer mindset bring to your role that necessarily people wouldn't ne- from more traditional marketing backgrounds wouldn't necessarily have? Yeah, so I mean, if you, you know, we all know what what marketing's about, right? It's trying to drive um, demand, attract people to your brand, get them to behave in a particular way, and move in your direction with you. Um, there's a there's a massively important creative element to that, mm. but there's quite a lot of structure um, and rational thinking about how you construct your um, messaging framework, even you know, even at that level, um, how you think about going to market, how you think about um, looking at your audiences from a rational perspective. Hmm. Of course, then what you need to do is is throw in a damn good dose of emotive, um, emotional stuff as well when it comes to actually building out the, the marketing plans. But I like to think of marketing as a science as well hmm. as an art. Hmm. And the science bit is all about problem solving. Super interesting. And maybe this is something we can get into a little bit later. But um, it seems to me that marketing has needs to have more of a seat at the table the leadership table and having that left brain the way that you think from a rational sort of uh left brain perspective probably plays well if you're on the leadership team of a large organization because they're generally led by left brain thinkers they're or, you know, or at least they think they are that seems, seems some pretty emotional <laughs> board members, right? but, but yeah absolutely i mean you, you'd think so and um and absolutely that's true if you go down the route of um of thinking about how you think companies make decisions, sure. then yeah, they make them rationally. When you're talking about the organization and business objectives and all of that stuff, it's it's quite, um, again, it's problem solving, right? So mm. if we wanna make the business grow, if we wanna you know drive the business forward, then it's a set of decisions. Those decisions are um, driven by a fairly logical, rational way of thinking, I mm. guess. Um, and I suppose in the boardroom, maybe you leave your, your right, right brain outside the door because maybe that's not the way to um, endear your colleagues sure. a lot of the time. As soon as they start seeing you getting fluffy, then you tend to um, <laughs> right. lose their attention somewhat. Right, yeah. 
just after the start of the millennium, you started your journey from the engineering left brain world towards more of a commercial and marketing world. How did that happen? And what was the transition like? Yeah, it's really interesting. It was actually to do with the millennium bug, um, which I doubt, Nathan, you were um, you were young enough to. Oh, I was there. To not, yeah, were you there? Were you? <laughs> Just about. So, so I was at Vodafone in those days, and and in a technical role, and and my job was essentially to um, figure out how we were going to convince people that we weren't going to fall over as a network on the first of January two thousand. So everyone was going mm. around thinking that somehow a clock within the Vodafone network was going to mean that everything falls over. And um, I started working with a couple of big customers who were very valuable to the business hmm. and who had business critical um, technology running off the Vodafone network. Um, and it turns out that uh, a couple of the guys in the kind of commercial part of the business heard about me and heard that I could string a couple of sentences together in front of a customer <laughs> and decided it would be great if uh, James McCarthy is the guy who is going to be our face of technology into customers to um, to allay their fears and reassure them that everything was going to be fine on January the 1st. And so I ended up working really closely with those customers, helping them to, in fact, structure the arguments internally into their organizations mm. that they'd done the due diligence. And hey, presto, suddenly I was marketing business continuity at Vodafone, mm. if you like. Um, my technical background obviously was required because I had to be able to talk the tech. Sure. Um, but that then led to the transition. Of course, nothing fell over on the night and everything went brilliantly. And then I had my relationships with the commercial parts of the organization and they started saying, hang on, this guy can talk tech, mm. but he can also talk to customers. Um, and he seems to like that kind of stuff and they love him. So let's have him on this side of the business instead. Mm, that left brain, right brain thing again. So, so you talked about your experience with Vodafone, uh, from Vodafone, you went to Microsoft where you held several leadership roles there. Why did you leave Vodafone for Microsoft at that time? And what was that transition like? Uh, we were working with Microsoft at Vodafone, so I was oh. working quite closely with them. They had a thing called Windows Mobile, which um, anyone who follows technology will know that in the end didn't do that well and got thoroughly uh, taken out by um, a combination of Google and iPhone, I think mm. it's fair to say. Um, but at the time, they had this strategy around mobile. I was really keen to work with a um, an actual manufacturer, if you like, mm. um, someone who actually creates stuff. And of course, Microsoft creates software in bucket loads and so the appeal was to help them build a new market in that brave new world we were got to remember we were in that kind of dot-com uh, revolution sure. that was going on at the time and so you know microsoft hadn't made some of the mistakes uh, yet that it was going to make <laughs> uh, potentially um and and you know it's really interesting to be part of a, a global monolith you know when it tries mm. to change a market mm. um, and i was really drawn with that with that mission well, let's talk about some of the mistakes that Microsoft made. That's a nice segue because you were at Microsoft, as you said, in the early 2000s when smartphones and social was was really becoming uh, a thing. And they were really in prime position to really lead and dominate the market as subsequently we've discovered that Apple and Samsung and Google have. And Bill Gates actually cites that as one of his biggest missed opportunities. How did Microsoft miss that boat? Uh, there's several things, right? So, so you know, there's lots of headwinds, tailwinds, uh, you know, different factors in there. So there's no one single 
strategic decision. But I think if you look, um, I, I'm a big fan of a guy called Simon Sinek, mm. if you know him. Mm-hmm. Um, why? He, yeah, he, he um, wrote a really good book recently, The Infinite Game. It's one of his latest ones. I don't know if it's his latest book, but mm. The Infinite Game, he talks about um, how brands can make the mistake of thinking that business and, and I suppose marketing to an extent is a finite game. Mm. In other words, there are set competitors and there are set rules and there's a winner and a loser, basically. Mm. Um, he um, holds that, in fact, business, like many things in life, is actually an infinite game. It keeps going. The rules keep changing. The players keep changing. There's no set competitors. But the one thing that really matters is the direction you're going in, the vision, the purpose, etc. And I think what Microsoft did is they, they failed to remember that. And so in their determination and by the way loads of tech companies did the same thing Mm. and loads of companies continue to do the same thing so it's Mm. not just microsoft but what they began to become obsessed by was the competitor and winning this concept of winning in the short term Mm. Um, and that led to a bunch of decisions what they perhaps should have done is focus more on the end customer and the vision and what they wanted to create and they would have found their way through Um, and if you look at you know that and sinek talks about um, you know, Microsoft and Apple at the same time. And, mm. and he got invited to speak to the leadership teams of both organizations. And apparently in the, you know, this has become kind of a myth, I guess. Um, but, you know, apparently in the halls of power in Microsoft, everyone was focused on beating Apple. Right. And meanwhile, and I think I can probably agree with that to an extent based on my experience, mm. but at the same time, in Apple's equivalent leadership meetings, mm. they were completely obsessed about how to do things better mm. and how to make things simpler and how to make things more customer centric and how to make things work better um, for the customer. And, and you know, we, we know what happened since, right? Um, so, so yeah, a yeah. whole bunch of things, but that, that's kind of encapsulates it, I think. And then all the decisions inside of that, you start to realize actually we're about playing a finite game, not an infinite game. Yeah. Well, the most valuable company in the world, amazon.com, which, uh, Bezos has adopted the, the same approach by being fanatically led by the customer. And apparently he has board meetings where, or leadership meetings where he has an empty seat at the table and so that everyone on the leadership team recognizes to always remember the customer that's who they're focused on they're not focused on a competitor or a uh, you know another entity they're always focused on doing things better for the consumer and actually interestingly just to round out that point you talk about amazon actually microsoft now has has had a massive renaissance in the last few years under satya nadella, nadella right. it is now or it has been in the last few months the world's most valuable company in hmm. fact more valuable than amazon all right um and the interesting thing about that is that nadella uh, whether or not simon sinek has the ear of satya nadella is, is a different story but you know if you look at the way he's been the ceo um, ama- amazing guy. And if you look at how he's affected the turnaround, um, I wonder whether Mr. Senek will be claiming some, <laughs> some victory on that, right? Because <laughs> literally Microsoft now is becoming, hey, guess what? Obsessed by the mission that they're on, their purpose, their why, um, rather than immediate competition. And guess what? They've transformed themselves and they're out now going blockbusters and doing some really, really good stuff. <laughs> so really interesting how that all works. Fast forward a few years and you set up Brightfly Digital, a digital demand generation and CRM agency in the technology industry. 
So you've got both client side and agency experience. What perspective does that experience give you? I think, I mean, it was a fascinating time, right? Really enjoyed it. Um, We did some really good stuff. It's also really, really hard being an agency, right? Right. So, you know, the problem with being an agency is you're only as good as your last project. Um, You're, you know, all the things, you know, you're... um, you're very dependent on marketing cycles, budget cycles. Uh, you know, there's many, many things that can come and swipe you that are nothing to do with the job that you're doing and how well you're doing for your client, which is the bit that really frustrates me. Mm. Um, and I think along with that, uh, the thing that became very, very clear to me is how hard it is to influence good strategy in a client. Um, the agency often ends up having to execute and make good without the right fundamentals, the right foundations. Hmm. Um, so, you know, you're given a brief which is based on, you know, on a potentially flawed proposition. Um, right. You are not given uh, the brand guidelines, the brand strategy that you would like sure. to take to market on behalf of your clients. Um, you're then into trying to create something out of out of something where there are fundamental strategic sure. issues your client needs to solve, and yet you've still got to be successful and make mm. the campaign amazing or, or whatever. So it's really, really tough. I think that's the biggest thing that I that I found. And ultimately, one of the reasons that I've gone back to being client side is not because I didn't love being agency side, because the diversity of what you get to deal with um it is fantastic and i had some really really good times and did some amazing work but the reason i kind of went back to the other side and i'm now on the cmo side of the fence is mm. probably because i love building the strategy and making sure the strategy is right before i brief my agencies hmm. super fascinating wouldn't the pushback from that be if the brief is not as good as it should be from the client a really good agency should push back on the client interrogate the brief further and say, hey, we're missing some fundamental pieces here. I think we need to go back to the drawing board and look at your overall strategy. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to mention any names, but I had a few clients where, you know, they were broken, frankly, um, and their their proposition was broken. It was uncompetitive in the market. It was, um, you know, it was they, they, they were a bunch of things they were doing at the sure. corporate level that just right. weren't going to help us. So okay. now it doesn't matter how good the brief is, Nathan. <laughs> yeah, you know, you you, you can't polish. <laughs> and, yeah, um, it's, it's and a family show and, yeah exactly and uh, and i think you end up writing a brief and, I, and i've been on both sides of this of course i've worked for organizations which from time to time haven't had a perfect proposition either right mm. and you have to write the brief so eat so if you're in that scenario even if you're great at writing briefs for the agency even if the agency is great at interrogating your brief mm. and making you work really hard to clarify it fundamentally You've got to have the right product um, with the right proposition targeted at the right audience in a compelling way in order for any brief to come and sing and and deliver a fantastic campaign. Quite fascinating. In in May 2019, you became the CMO of Exonar, a data discovery business helping businesses to find and understand the billions of items of data and information they've got and then use it better. Talk a little bit about the problems you help your clients solve. Yeah. So, I mean, basically these days there's been an explosion in data, right? So data has has happened as a result of the digital revolution, the information revolution that we work in. And the challenge is, is that every company is now a data company, hmm. whether they like it or not. 
And there's a lot of traditional companies out there. Of course, most companies are traditional companies struggling with the fact that they now have this huge amount of data that they never had before. They're not tech companies. Um, they're, they're quite traditional in their outlook and the way they operate. And yet they're flooded with data and information, some of which they can ignore, mm. but some of which contains um, you know, their customers' information mm-hmm. and some of which holds them back in terms of delivering a great customer service and all of those things that go with it. Um, of course, some companies were born in data. So some of the most challenging, disruptive organizations out there, so your, your Ubers and, and the like, mm-hmm. were born in data. They were born in digital. Mm-hmm. They, they only exist because of digital. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, that, that changes the game. And if you're a traditional company that has a bunch of data, so if you're a bank or a, an insurance company, you've got petabytes of, of stuff, billions of items. Um, and you have no idea what you've got, let alone what you can then do with it. Mm-hmm. So our job really is to expose and uncover all of that. So we we go tunneling into people's data at scale and we help them make sense of it. So we index it all into one place and we give them literally for the first time proper insight into the, the volumes of data that they've got. And then we help them start to use it to protect and to power their organization. Mm, quite fascinating. So so talk a little bit about the the your role now as CMO. What are the main business challenges that the business is struggling with right now? And how are you working with agencies to help you solve those challenges? Yeah, so so I, I mean I I for me this is my this is the perfect role, right? I, I literally am a kid in a in a toy shop. <laughs> Not because of the amount of budget I've got, because okay. I haven't got a huge budget oh. to deal with, unfortunately, sadly. That's unfortunate. I know it is. Um I know that's where you were going now, <laughs> before you do it. Um but uh but in terms of, you know, going back to that strategy thing, um I'm the first marketer on the board. Um, the business got to Series A venture capital funding, so we're funded by some of some really really good VCs based in London, great. Uh, very well respected, which is fantastic. The company's got itself to where it is on some great software, uh, which is going down a storm. is really really exciting, but they had no marketing on the budget hmm. uh, on the budget on the boardroom. Um, and so I had that wonderful experience doesn't happen very often where you get to join a company where literally they're all ears because mm. they knew they were hiring a CMO mm. and they actually understood and, and our CEO believes in the power of marketing. And he understands that in order to build um, 100 million, 500 million, sure. billion pound business, it largely comes down to how we position ourselves and how we build that brand, mm. which literally means I'm in my element. I get to um, to define everything from our product strategy um, to our go-to-market strategy, uh, and, and very little damage has been done before I arrived, if you interesting. like. Right. Okay. So that's fantastic. You're not inheriting now, um, any legacy. No, really not. Yeah. And, and in fact, I'm, I'm, I'm inheriting um, virtually nothing. You know, they've done the sort of traditional things that, that most organizations have done. They've tried a bit of email marketing. They've mm. tried a bit of this and a bit of that, but mm. nothing coordinated, nothing structured, and mm. most of it didn't work. Um, so, you know, I've got a decent budget. And the way that I'm looking at it is that at the moment, we're, we're probably spending the next six to 12 months really building the strategy correctly. And I am using a number of agencies who are utterly specialists Hmm. Um, and that's where i think agencies are fabulous is when you find specialist agencies that have they don't have to be big in any way at all that have you know really strong perspectives really strong experience in very specific areas Um, so for example wanted to build an influencer strategy 
um, uh, and think about how we were going to go to market with thought leadership, etc. Um, a lot of our audiences are in very big companies and they're very senior on the board. So engaging those audiences is pretty difficult as a marketer. Um, and so we wanted to use an influencer strategy to help us do that. And I went to who I believed was one of the best out there at influencer work. Um, so yes, they're a more general agency, but I happen to have a tip off Hmm. that they're very strong in this one area. Um, and that's just an example. I think, you know, for me, if you can get, it's not about finding one agency and then okay. and then being lazy sure. and just, just getting them to do all your work for right. you. Right, okay. Not what it's, about. it's about engaging a small number, but the, the most specialist and the best people, Fan- the people who are famous for something, right? Mm. And if they're famous for doing that one thing, then you go there. You know, if you're going to build a burger joint, yeah, mm. and you want all the components to build the best burger in the world – when it comes to getting your sauce, you're going to go to the people that are famous for the best burger sauce. You know, mm. this is an analogy that's going to go wrong in any minute now. Um, but you I'm know with what you I mean? so far. Like, let's just go with this, go with the best of everything. Sure. Um, and, and I think that's really my approach with it. What I'm also doing is building an internal team because I do believe that you need to have some executional muscle internally as well. Mm. And whilst, you know, agencies obviously, you know, to some extent thrive off outsourced delivery to an extent um, it's low margin compared to uh, the, you know, the really strategic um, specialist stuff. Mm. And I believe as a CMO, I need to have my team around me as well who live and breathe my brand and execute it at the group, grassroots level. So, so I believe we bring agencies in and we pay them good, good dollar, to do the impactful strategic stuff that they are no doubt best placed to do. And I don't mind paying people a good wedge of money to do that. But when it comes to business as usual, I would rather try and insource where I can Mm. um, and build an organization that is powered by some great agency minds around the outside. Mm, Really interesting. So, So let's take that one step further. Let's say that you you're looking to build a, a really specialist team of agencies around you to support your sort of internal team uh, mm-hmm. in those specialist areas. Selecting an agency partner is probably one of the most important decisions that any CMO can make. It's very easy to pick up the phone and hire an agency on the spot. It's far more difficult to find the ideal partner to reshape your approach and your yeah. marketing strategy and propel your business forward strategically. What's the best way of finding, appointing, and choosing an agency? Let's say that you're looking at a cross-section of maybe three or four really great performance agencies or SEO agencies or uh, Mm -hmm. creative agencies. What's your approach to sort of choosing and selecting and onboarding a winning agency? Um, Well, I think the first thing is that the agency themselves don't have a website that, that pretends that they do everything brilliantly Hmm. so i would much rather end up and this is you know but but you know we're turning the mirror on ourselves as marketers here right Mm -hmm. as to how to market your business Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. um you know the first thing is you know like like if any anywhere else what you want to do when you hit someone's homepage, agency homepage, is obviously you expect it to be beautiful you expect it to have all sorts of whizzy stuff and look finely manicured and creatively brilliant but what you really want to see there in a nutshell, very quickly, is what they're famous for. Hmm. And the more specific that is, the better. Now, I've run an agency. 
and I know the temptation to go, oh yeah, and we do this, and we do, and we do that, and we do this. <laughs> and a bit of this. Oh yeah, and of course we can. Right. You know, we'll, we'll offer a full managed service for you. In fact, sure. Just take it all off your hands. Mm. We'll do it all for you, and we'll, we won't make as much margin on the the low end stuff. But hey, if we wrap it all up, then there's some stickiness there, right? Sure. And 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 literally, it kind of puts me off. Um, uh, you know, so I, I, I tried to use word of mouth. So I, I've got a decent network in the marketing space. I pick up the phone. I ask, ask people, but I, I tend to ask people, you know, do you know a good agency that does this thing, this very specific thing really well? Mm. Um, because I think every agency I've worked with has done some things really well and they, and they are famous for something, even if that's just in my mind. And even if they don't major on it on their website. But I think there's a massive, massive opportunity for agencies to be the best in the world sure, at something. Sure, at something. Really and, fascinating. And, and, and be, you know, and, and you have a lovely idea as a CMO that there's this little group of people in an office somewhere in Soho. Mm. And if I ask them the right question, they bloody know the answer. You mm. know, I'm sorry, it's a family show. I shouldn't be doing that. Um, bloody is acceptable. The, they, okay, that's fine. We've got a, we've now got a benchmark. Yeah, we, a, a yeah. sort of a, yeah. Okay, um, you know that that is very appealing to know that somewhere there is the superhuman superhero mm. agency that will take one look at my very specific business sure. problem. And go, ah, we've seen that before. Yeah. Now, now we cost three thousand pounds a day, but we'll absolutely have you nailed by the end of the week. Mm. And and that you know there is a lot there is a lot to be said for that. That's super fascinating. What if there was a, a really, uh, I'm, I'm resisting the urge to swear, a really, really good uh, B2B tech agency, maybe they're a performance agency, let's say for argument's sake, but they're not on your radar at all. You have no idea that they exist, but they're absolute specialists, very strategic, um, and they know that if they work with you, they can deliver a tremendous amount of value to XNR. What's the best way of them getting on your radar and and creating that value for you i tell you what the first the, the, the there's a few bad ways of getting on my radar right <laughs> okay. first one is in mail in linkedin okay i'll stop okay. that yeah you stop that nathan <laughs> you've been doing it too much recently come on um that's the first one right. i mean uh, you know uh cold calling um yeah. you know those emails yeah you know nathan <laughs> damn it you it's my yeah. whole business development yeah strategy i know here, exactly okay. that's your marketing plan out the window um you know, any of those things are, are really not good um, unless you had a magic bullet mm. about how you were brilliant at this one thing. Sure. And and you you, um, you you know, look no further. We are the people that can help you do this very that specific thing, because um, I think that realistically, you know, it's going to be it's going to be inbound to an extent. I, like anyone else, I'm going to Google search mm. what I need um, I'm going to talk to my friends. I'm going to do all the things, you know, that you would expect in an integrated marketing mix. Hmm. But what I'm not going to do is respond to an agency. I mean, you, you mentioned performance agency, which is quite interesting. And, 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 you know, the first reaction I've got is, well, what, what's a performance agency? I mean, I've, I, I've got performance, uh, you know, we, we perform. Hmm. Um, I don't think I need a performance right. agency. Right. Okay. So that would be my first thing is kind of like, well, you know, performance agency i don't think i was looking for one of those okay. and that's certainly not an seo optimized search term that i'm aware of mm. so so i think it's you know it, it's really simple um and actually you know what if i was 
going to go and build a, an agency for myself again and, and start again. Um, I, I think the thing that I learned or one of the things that I learned that I would do differently is to, to seek to become the best at something, um, to be a bit Simon Sinek, actually, mm. and to, to think of a, of a really worthy purpose, a really worthy vision and, um, and understand what my why is and then define everything around being that person because that will attract if you if you you know listen in the church of Sinek, hmm. then that will attract people to join uh, your tribe effectively your you know to join your path they will they will find that that idea resonates with them and they will be drawn alongside you hmm. and they will go with you on that journey you know that it that, that that's that's really, really important stuff to think about mm. for any agency and any company, right? Same thing. Mm. We've got to do the same thing for our customers too. Mm. Really interesting. Let, let's talk a little bit about working with agencies because you mentioned earlier, I mean, the, the client agency relationship has been likened to a marriage, right? It's a very close, intimate relationship, uh, emotional at times. Um, but you mentioned earlier the fact that expectations sometimes can be misaligned if the brief or if the the product and the service offering really hasn't been articulated well. If there isn't, you can't polish a, an, mm. an expletive. Mm. How do you make sure that everyone's expectations are aligned when you're working with a new agency? Uh, well, it, it, I mean, it's, it's about great briefing, but it's also about locking down objectives and, and making those realistic and deliverables, right? So, um, you know, so this, this in a way goes back to the left brain, okay? Um, as a left brain problem solver, I'll break things down into um, into what needs to be done, and then, of course, what success looks like, mm. and what quality actually means. Um, so, quality for an engineer is a, is actually a term that you learn in your first year of your degree. Um, quality is fitness for purpose as an engineer, which means have I designed something that doesn't doesn't do more than it has to, mm. but is fit for the purpose with which you know for for which it's going to be used, and and it's very similar to that. You know, you have to. You have to figure out what success looks like. What do we need out of this engagement? What is the objective that we're looking to hit? What are the deliverables that we're going to get? And how are we going to know that we're on the right track? What are our KPIs? Mm. So, so, you know, whether it's PR or whether it's, um, you know, a campaign's a bit more obvious because you tend to have very specific deliverables and, and everything else. But, um, you know, let's take a more run, more sort of an ongoing um, engagement between an agency and a brand, then you're going to have quarterly, monthly, whatever rhythm going on. And you're going to have the need for, you know, X amount of deliverables so that we can drive a return on investment. And of course, mm -hmm. ROI is important for everybody these days. Mm -hmm. um, so it's about defining those things really clearly, making them achievable. Mm -hmm. Because if you, you know, if it is a marriage, and but you set unachievable expectations, um, you know, might be an awkward conversation, right? But if you set un unachievable expectations, mm -hmm. then it only leads to disappointment. Mm -hmm. um, on I, both I, sides. On both sides, and of course that happens, right? And it's mm -hmm. happened to me as an agency. It's happened to me as briefing an agency, as being a client, where. The, the question's been dodged a little bit in terms of what the measurables are going to be out of something. Mm. And it's been dodged because the agency are slightly uncomfortable with setting those things because they don't want to be hung up by them. Sure. Um, and they don't know whether they can be achieved because you haven't done the work yet. Mm. So everyone's very cautious about setting the deliverables. Um, if they are set, 
then normally the the client probably errs on the un, um, on the unrealistic side in order to get the agency to agree a number and then and then work really hard to hit it mm. you know so it, it's all around expectation setting it's all around being really clear about what success looks like but being realistic too and i think you know client side sometimes it's the client that's doing the briefing that's unrealistic about the expectations sometimes it's just that they're working in an organization where there are unrealistic expectations upon them mm. either way you know finding a finding what success looks like and agreeing that early and then tracking towards that and of course delivering it as an agency is is really important mm. you said earlier that uh, you were happy to pay a three thousand pound a day uh, day rate for an agency that was Which has really... gone in your little black book. Yeah. <laughs> I've just written that down. Thank you very much. Um, that includes expenses, by the way. <laughs> oh, just damn it. <laughs> okay. Um, so, but you were willing to pay premium for a really hot strategic agency that delivered a lot of value. How sure. do we? How do you know that you're not overpaying for agency services? That's a really good question, isn't it? I mean, you know, and and so much of marketing is um, is not. Uh, as measurable as we would like it to be, right? So if if you were going to go to a brand agency um, for some kick-ass creative, um, and you wanna you wanna go for something really fresh, and you wanna go for an organisation that's worked in your sector, and you know you can see some of the evidence of their other client work that they've done, and they've they've been associated with another startup that's gone stellar. Mm. And has an amazing, you know what I mean? And you kind of, you take a leap of faith based on mm. evidence from people's previous work. And, and I, th I don't think marketing is ever going to change in that respect. Um, sometimes you're not buying stuff that has numbers attached to it. You're buying, you're buying into brains that have ideas. And sometimes I, I don't have a problem with that as a CMO. Mm. Um, because everything's an exploration in marketing. You don't mm. know what the answer is. You're always looking to improve and to uncover and to drive value. And, and sometimes you've got to take a punt. Hmm. Um, I think what you do in that scenario, though, is you brief it in such a way as you make it easy for both sides to show success. So you know, even if it was £3,000 a day, um, then you, you brief a small piece of work to start with that has very clear definitions sure. around it. Okay. And allows you to, even if you can't measure it in pounds and pence or, or leads generated or, or whatever, you, you can at least measure it in terms of did this, does this feel like it's taken us forward in the way that we thought it was going to take us forward? Hmm. If you break it down in that way, then, then great. Hmm. Really interesting. So uh, let's say we find a really strategic uh, agency that you're happy to work with. Let's say they come in and deliver a fantastic pitch presentation. Mm -hmm. The problem with some agencies, not naming any names, is that they pitch with the A team, but they deliver with the B team. Or yeah. in some cases, the C, yeah. D and E and F team. Or, or whoever turns up for work. <laughs> or whoever, whoever they can find that's alive. Yeah. Uh, how do you motivate your agency to put their best people on your account? Well, I mean, and so this is it, right? So, so we're really getting into the nub of this because on the back of the previous, you know, thing that we were talking about, we were talking about that three thousand pound a day day rate, sure. right? Where it's a they're short, punchy little projects. So they are they are ten k pieces of work, aren't sure. they? They're not they're not ongoing hundred k mm. full year engagements. Mm. Okay, 
if you orient your agency around that, then you're going to have to run pretty hard because you're going to have to have lots of 10K engagements in order to make money. But you can't afford to subcontract or rather to um, to delegate um, much of that 3K a day work because at 3K a day, your client is going to know full well that it's going to be the brains of the outfit that are delivering on it. So mm. there's nowhere to hide on that. Mm. I think I think most agencies then try and do, of course, to make life a lot easier, make the business model a lot easier. You look for the bigger projects, you look for the retainers, you look sure. for the, the long engagements. And that's where the problem starts in terms of being able to maintain the A team on the engagement because you can't spread the A team that thinly. Hmm. So, so it's a really difficult paradox where the client is buying the A team um, if they buy at 3K a day in short chunks, then they get the A-team in short chunks, but mm. that isn't sustainable. Um, it isn't sustainable for the agency either because they don't get the, the benefit of longer pieces of business sure. for which they can do some execution and, and, and deliver probably at a lower margin, but they can definitely use B and C level uh, resources in order to do that mm. so it's a real paradox i'm not saying i've got the answer mm. I, it, it's an interesting one because i guess you're, you're paying the three thousand pounds a day for the strategic thinking correct the, the nuts and bolts can really be done not by anyone but that can be outsourced to a number of agencies that have the technical doing yeah. capability yeah yeah or to an extent you, you know as i said at the opening of the conversation you know um, my own team because i'm building sure. a team too of of right. happy eager young things who right. want to have a career in marketing and want to learn. And I'd like to think that we can operate and execute our own marketing digitally and, and not digitally hmm. on our own to an extent, but the strategy, the strategy is worth paying for. Hmm. Um, now that's not to say we don't use production agencies and, um, you know, we have, we have a production agency that, that literally produce content for us once we've written it, if you like, uh, it's not to say we don't have that and we do have them on a retainer as well. But I'm being very, very clear about what I'm paying for there. I am paying for execution. Mm, really and, therefore, and therefore, the day rate is according, right? So mm. it's not strategic. It's, it's, um, it's executional because I haven't yet had the ability to recruit as big a team as I need in the mm. long term. Mm. Now, agencies all want to hold on to their clients forever. But the reality is that that doesn't always happen. And uh, clients replace agencies with increasing regularity what are some of the most common reasons agencies lose their clients and what can agencies do to stop it uh well i mean it, you, it comes off the last question as well so if you if you line up your c team your b stroke c team to deliver then and your a team aren't 100 percent front of mind with mm. the senior leadership in the in your client then that's what's going to happen um so I think there are things you can do. I think I think the the A team have to make sure, even if it's slightly uncomfortable, that they are in regular contact with everybody. Um, I would expect um, to get an email every few weeks. The more, the better. Frankly, the odd phone call here and there mm -hmm. from the CEO of the agency going, "Hey, how's it don't going, James? How's your strategy working out? Mm -hmm. Is it, you know, blah blah blah?" Now I have to admit. I don't get that as often as I'd like. Hmm. Um, 
And if I feel like it's like anything else, it's like any human engagement. If you build a relationship with the CEO of an agency, it doesn't have to be the CEO, but let's say for sake of argument, it is. Um, and they are there for you and they pick up the phone and give you a call every so often, not because they're fishing for more business sure. directly, but because they're keeping up with it's you the and making sure yeah. they're building a relationship. And then if I've got a question and I'm thinking in the back of my mind, how do I do that? Mm. Guess what? Guess who I'm going to pick up the phone to? Sure. Um, so, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, um, agencies need to work out how they can continue to be the shiny new thing, even when they're not the shiny new thing. So they need to be continually bringing new insights, new value, mm. you know, pushing the boundaries, bringing that right to your door. Um, because that's where interesting stuff happens. And it, it's where that agency becomes, if they become the people that you pick up the phone to when you have something you can't quite put your finger on but you want to you want to have a chat with them about it then that agency is staying around hmm. um, if they get tied up on the on the executional stuff and and you know to an extent have made a rod for their own back by having this kind of c-level team running an executional production you know business as usual type thing then that's not where the thinking of the cmo is hmm. cmo is not thinking about that stuff Let's talk a little bit about performance reviews because we know it's important to conduct effective performance reviews so that both client and agency both have feedback and they know how to improve their work and, and the relationship. How often should we conduct performance reviews? What's the best way that you've seen them done? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I would say... Um, I would say that what would be really good is a phone call every month, hmm. right? That isn't in a, a, an organized meeting. You know, it isn't in a, um, a set agenda, set calendar appointment in a, you know, in your diary sort of thing. Um, just an informal call every month at the senior level, just to check in and go, Hey, um, I'm not involved in all the detail, but I just want to make sure everything's going okay for you guys. Are you getting what you need? Does it feel good? You know, is there anything we can be doing? You know, and if the answer to those things is, is all no, that's great. You know, have a great day, have a nice weekend, etc. Um, and of course, if any issues are there, then in informal conversation, it's much more like you go, well, actually, you know what? Hmm. It's not going quite as well as I thought it was going to go. And it's a much easier conversation to have if you're not put on the spot. Um, so I think that's the first thing. And then probably quarterly on a more structured basis hmm. to look at the deliverables that were agreed, um, to look at, you know, where things are going, step back from the detail and, and just make sure that everything's still on track. I think that's probably the rhythm. Hmm. Really interesting. Just coming towards the end of the interview now, I want to ask you a couple of questions based on some of the things that you said in our pre-interview. Uh, one of the things that you said that really stood out to me was you said every business wants to be a disruptive business. Expl explain that uh, i don't remember saying that <laughs> <laughs> thank you for putting me on the spot that's, that's what i wrote um, down every business wants to be a disruptive business i think every business has to be a disruptive business okay um because otherwise they will be disrupted hmm. um i think every you know the, the, again i i you know it, it's it's back to some of the things we were talking about earlier on um marketing brands um the world it is an ever moving thing. It's an ever evolving thing. Mm. Um, so you have to be disruptive. And if you look at who the winners and losers are going to be, 
over the next few years, it's going to be the brands, the organizations, whether they're agencies or vendors or, or whoever they are, that are able to understand how the world is moving and move themselves towards a vision that, they, that they're comfortable with and they can take their customers on a journey with. Um, so you need to be disruptive to be relevant. And if you're relevant, you're front of mind. If you're agency and you're not disruptive, then that means you're pretty quickly becoming irrelevant. And then, you know, all the conversation we've had today has been about, you know, finding finding that agency because of their superpower, because of the thing that they're really, really good at. Mm. Well, you could put it another way. You could say, I want to seek out the agencies that are disruptive. Because if an agency, if I can find an agency that can be disruptive on my behalf mm. in the marketplace, well, that's the agency I want to be working with, isn't it? Um, I don't want the agency that shies away from disruption or doesn't seem to be keeping up with where the world has got to. Um, I want to feel like I can buy into some disruption, mm. if you like, as a CMO. Mm. You know, hell, yeah, give me a disruptive agency every day of the week, mm. particularly if they've been disruptive in a positive way. Mm -hmm. Obviously, mm -hmm. you have to qualify that statement, right? Mm. There's being disruptive and then there's making a noise. <laughs> um, right, making a mess. Yeah. I, I, you know, so, so I think I think – we all should try and be disruptive. Mm. I think people hate change, right? Which is a shame because that's one thing that's pretty much guaranteed. Um, and, and, you know, if you're trying to go out and market your products, you're trying to find your USP. You're trying to differentiate from the rivals around you. Mm. The best way to differentiate from the rivals around you is to be disruptive mm. because you can't do it by having, you know, people talk about sustainable differentiation. Well, sustainable differentiation is continual disruption. Mm. That's Otherwise, that differentiation isn't staying, is it? It's it's gonna it's gonna stop being differentiated, because the world's gonna move on, and suddenly, it doesn't make you different. Um, and I think I, I think the more that people can dis, you know, that can embrace disruption, not in a negative way. It's quite a negative word. Mm. But the more people can embrace disruption, the more we can look positively at change, and and as marketers, we can be on the front end of that. You know, we can lead the change. Um, actually, it's interesting. I, we, you know, you talk about um, podcast interviews. I interviewed um, a guy from EY hmm. recently, um, who's a partner there, who's in data governance, and and I won't go into it now. But um, the the point he makes is that the marketer should be in the boardroom. The marketer should be defining how the brand goes and does things, particularly around data and around technology and around the way the world's changing. You know, people say that the marketers are the voice of the customer in the organization. So if, if I'm the voice of the customer, um, then I've got to keep transforming the business on behalf of the business as fast as the customer's life is being transformed in front of them. Mm. So, yeah, I, I, you know, CMOs do need to be in the boardroom. They need to be disruptive. Marketing needs to be disruptive because our customers demand us to be disruptive. Absolutely fascinating. Here's something else that I wrote down that you said in our pre-interview. I have no idea whether or not you said it, but I'm going to go with it. You said there's no such thing as digital marketing. Oh, yeah. Get me honest. I thought you were trying to draw this interview to a close, Nathan. But anyway. Um, <laughs> in about an hour so, and a half. Yeah. We've still got yeah, another yeah, hour. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, great. Um, so, no, digital um yeah, this is a bit of a frustration of mine. Uh, digital marketing was the shiny new object a few years ago. 
Um, and the thing that irritates me about it is that it's just marketing. Hmm. Um, it's just marketing using a particular set of the mix, a particular part of the marketing mix, which happens to be digital or technological in the way that it's delivered to the customer or the or the audience. Um, so digital marketing is 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 not a thing um, anymore. And, and particularly, even if it was a thing because it was so different, mm. hey, maybe it was disruptive to our previous point. Sure. Um, even if it was a thing because it was different and people didn't understand it and they were trying to get their heads around it and it was changing the world. But we're now in 2020 and digital marketing is not a form of marketing. It is marketing. Table stakes now. Digital is just a way that you get yeah. to your audience and influence them. It's, it's as simple channel. as that. Mm. So what? What? what it, the reason it, it annoys me so much is I get we we recently um, advertised a couple of roles in my team, and I was reading people's CVs, you know, to screen them on the way in, and 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 so many young people are looking for. I want to go into digital marketing. Mm. Well, okay. Um, do, what does that mean? Does that mean you want to spend all day? doing social media hmm. or does it mean you want to be a marketer because to be honest with you if you want to be a marketer then you love marketing and you love um the way that you can move people um and that's a brilliant discipline that we all love or i certainly do hmm. um if you want to manage a social media account on behalf of a company, then yeah, sure, be my guest. But mm. that is not what you should aspire to be. Mm. You should aspire to be a marketer and understand how to move people in all the channels. And if you're a good marketer, you will understand digital marketing along the way because you'll have to understand how that's going to help you move your audience. Mm. And, that, and that's what you know. I just wish you know, I've had some really good people apply for jobs who think they want to be a digital marketer. You then get talking to them and they actually go, oh, yeah, actually, I love marketing. Well, okay. So why do you want to be a digital marketer? Oh, I, I don't know, really. Well, okay. So what is it that you're passionate about? Well, I'm, I'm passionate about customers. I'm passionate about brands. I'm passionate about avatar. Okay. So you want to be a marketer. Yeah. You haven't mentioned digital at all in that Correct. sentence, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Interesting. Yeah. Super interesting. Okay, I am actually going to bring the interview towards a close now. Uh, this is, but this is our speed round. These are the questions that are a little bit more fun, where we learn a little bit more about you. Um, so I'll pick a, a number of these uh, um, and fire them at you. If you can fire some short, sharp answers back, that will be fantastic. Um, which CMO has the hardest job in marketing right now? Which CMO has the hardest job in marketing? Um, okay. Bunch of different ways of, of answering this. Um, I believe it depends what you believe the CMO should be. Oh, interesting. And okay. what we have at the moment is a problem where different types of people are being hired as CMOs. Some of them are right brain, some of them are left brain, some of them have a bit of both. Hmm. Um, the, the most difficult job as a CMO is to be a right brain CMO hired into a boardroom of a company that expects you to be left brained hmm. or vice versa. Hmm. Um, and, and I've seen both. Um, scenarios. When I was looking for this job that I've taken now, I had some really interesting conversations with a bunch of different companies um, at the very early stages about what they wanted their marketing leader to be. Um, and actually, that's the most difficult job. So the difficult job is to live up as a CMO to the expectations of the organization and what they think marketing is, and to then be fitting into that that vision of what they want it to be. Mm. 
Super interesting. You haven't actually answered the question, oh, but you, you've you've sidestepped it nicely. I, pre I, I appreciate it. I answered it. a different question. <laughs> you answered a different career in you politics answer, next, you, right? Exactly. You answered the question you wanted me to ask. Um, <laughs> You, you wanted me to find a brand or two. You wanted me to think of a brand yeah, or two. Yeah, think of a brand or two that may be uh, going through some difficult challenges. Uh, or difficult yeah, so times I'm, I'm going to come up with Facebook okay. um, as a difficult one. Um, difficult job being a CMO, CMO of Facebook. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg has a particular view of what he thinks the brand should be. I think the rest of the world might have a different view of what they would like the brand to be. Mm. Um, I think there's some really interesting challenges in, in Facebook right now. Mm, um, which CMO is doing the best job in marketing? Elon Musk. Well said, although he's not quite a CMO. But you would argue that maybe he is actually because he's doing a well, fantastic job. I don't know job whether and... he's got one actually. I haven't looked, but okay. um, but uh, as yes, uh, they're doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah. that's you're, you're right. You're right. Assuming he is wearing the CMO hat as well as the CEO yeah. hat, he's nailing it. Yeah, he is. What's the single uh, biggest thing that you love most about working with agencies, and what are you dislike about working with agencies i i love ideas i love it when people bring ideas to the table and are disruptive i suppose again um i love it when people bring when you bring brains together and and you you really crunch through some really really good ideas i, I find that hugely energizing um the worst thing about working with agencies um is probably the thing you were talking about earlier on in terms of when you end up with the C, the C, um, C team, the C team, not yeah. the A team. Yeah, really interesting. Uh, what should agencies be thinking about doing now to ensure that they can continue to drive better value for you, serve your needs uh, now, both now and in, into the future? Uh, be inspiring. Be disruptive. Love it. At times, we all hit low times from time to time, especially uh, in this current context, actually, of COVID-19. COVID how, how do you motivate yourself when energies and motivation is, is low? Uh, generally through exercise or going off and doing something completely different and coming back to it. Mm. Um, I, I, people hate me because I'm very positive. Um, and, it, and so I'm very, very, very lucky in that because I know a lot of people struggle a lot more than I apparently do. Mm. Um, and so I am blessed and I'm very thankful for that. Um, but I think, you know, if I'm not feeling it some days, mm. as it were, you know what I mean? When you, when you, you yeah. get, get to doing something and you just, you're not, you're not there. Yeah. The first thing I do is just do something else as in, you know, whatever it is, right. Okay. Just, you just, I, you can't make the magic happen if it's not happening. Yeah. Wh which books have most significantly influenced the way that you think about marketing? Probably Simon Sinek. Okay. Infinite game. Infinite, infinite game. Infinite game. Start with why. Start with why. Um, I don't, I'm not a big reader of business books. Okay. Uh, I have to say I'm not. Um, I quite like The Tribe by Seth Godin or Tribes, I Brilliant think it's book. called. Yeah. Um, quite like that. I, I'm not a big fan of reading, reading books like that because they tend to be uh, – it's, it's not my format. Hmm. Uh, I t there's a lot of waffle out there. Um, in general, but but there are some good ones. I, I'm not a big reader of that. I, I read fiction a lot more. And my final question: What's the single biggest thing that you have yet to achieve that you would like to achieve in your career? Uh, well, I want to build a billion-dollar brand. A scale up. 
Yeah, which is which is kind of what Exonar is today. So mm. so I am at a scale up. We're only Series A. We've got a long way to go. But mm-hmm. I, I've said this to to the business, right? So one of I want to build a billion dollar brand, mm. and I don't mind doing it from day one. It can be I can jump in about now Series A sort of level, thirty forty employees, but I want to build a billion dollar brand. Mm. Uh, and what is it about that that, that excites you? Uh, it's just taking it from scratch mm. and making it happen. I mean, it, obviously, you'd, you'd hope the brand would go to 10 billion or 100 billion, sure. whatever. Sure. The point is, by the time it's got to a billion, then all the the cogs have dropped into the right place. Um, so, you know, billion dollar brand for me, you've you've kind of created something that's bigger than yourself, sure. right? Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Certainly more affluent than yourself. Yeah, definitely. It's been an absolute pleasure. Great having you on the show, James McCarthy. Thank you for being on Client Side. My pleasure, Nathan. Great to talk to you. If you'd like to share any thoughts on this episode or any episode of Client Side, then find us online at fox.agency. If you'd like to appear as a guest on the show, please email millie at fox.agency. The people that make the show possible are Millie Bell and Natasha Rosich, our booker slash researcher. David Clare is our head of content. Ben Fox is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Annie Barber. You've been listening to Client Side from Fox Agency. Join us next time on Client Side, brought to you by Fox Agency.